episode 27 with artist and designer Brandon Bro. Welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. I'm your host, Dario Kalmis, an artist, writer, brand consultant, and generally curious fellow. And each week we bring you a conversation from the pool of black genius to inspire, engage, and help you unleash your own imagination. Today's episode is with artist and graphic designer Brandon Bro. Hailing from Chicago's South Side, Brandon is one of those rare artists whose body of work sits comfortably at both the personal and commercial scale. If you don't know Brandon by name, that's okay, because we're sure you've seen his work with brands like Bud Light or Alka-Seltzer, or most likely all three of Chance the Rapper's album covers. Art entered Brandon's life at an early age, not as a class elective, but as a way to cope. You see, mental illness was a conversation had around the house throughout Brandon's childhood, as his father experienced a severe psychotic break that placed him behind bars, all on the day before Brandon was born. Slightly isolated and shy, Brandon found solace in art, comic book characters to be exact, and it was in this space of world building that Brandon developed his love for characters, fashion, design, and illustration that would later develop into the career he has today. Brandon now works with brands all over the country while also focusing on his personal and community-based work. More than just hanging out in his studio, Brandon is always seeking out ways to give back, like a field trip project in which he rented buses to take children to museums who may not have otherwise had the opportunity. He also led daily meditations throughout the pandemic and launched his 28 Days of Greatness portrait series earlier this year to highlight local individuals making massive impact. And in an exclusive collaboration with the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago, there are design objects that are featured with themes that address accessibility, safe spaces, and representation. In this episode, we discuss what it takes to bring a creative idea to fruition, the ghost of mental illness that exists in many of our families, the power of meditation, and why the design world remains one of the least integrated disciplines. This is such a vulnerable conversation, and you'll see quite quickly that Brandon is a one who leads with an open heart. If you find this content valuable, please leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. We love to hear from our audience. And definitely shout us out over on Instagram at Black Imagination. We'll shout right back. Now, take a breath, relax, and settle in for this enriching conversation with graphic designer and artist, Brandon Bro. Okay, my brother, Brandon Bro. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. I am uh, so excited to have this conversation. We've been trying to make this happen for a second, but you know, all things happen when they are supposed to. And so I'm really excited uh, to get started. Um, so to really just pop it off, like, who was Brandon Bro? Like, what's your superhero origin story? Like, how did you come to be? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> it's a 
I, I was really into comic books as a kid. So like, I love the prompt. Um, so man, um, born and raised on the South side of Chicago, um, to a single mom, my, uh, my dad, just, my dad was dealing with some mental health issues before I was born, but got diagnosed around the time I was born, maybe two days before I was born. Um, so I was supposed to be born on March 3rd, right? End up being born two days later. The day I was supposed to be born, my dad had an episode. He was a musician, really brilliant, brilliant musician, painter. Messed around with uh, with drugs. Uh, but he had an episode where he, he came home and he took his father's life. So, you know, on, on March 3rd. It was a it was a thing of course the community the entire community knew about it i didn't know this i know like this story what happened while my father wasn't in my life till i was like in my early 20s so you know this this happened um i knew my father was was sick i knew he was away when we would visit him as a child um i was being told we were going to a hospital but i remember like walking through hallways and seeing bars you know and we were in a in this huge auditorium like visitation room like i had these early memories of like seeing my father that were that's what they were but you know th from there you know thing everything kind of started from there my mother raised me was very um cautious of me uh, going that route because the people around her even our family was would say things like that, or assume things like that. Oh, he's going to end up like his father, right? She's had, actually had family tell her things like that. So, um, you know, single mom, she was dealing with some new things. I ended up getting her last name. I ended up not getting my la my father's last name, and I assume it was because of you know what everything that transpired and what she felt like was the best thing to do to protect to protect me. Uh, so it was a you know, it was a, it was a thing. My mom was from a home, a home when there were eight children. She was a, a set of two twins in that family. And my father was the youngest of a, a family. It was a kind of different uh, approach to certain to, to certain things. My grandmother was very, um, just very particular about how she kept the home, very particular about certain things, who her son was dating. She wanted the best for her family. But when it came to my, my dad dealing with his, um, his mental health, um, they were in denial. So it culminated to, it, to a point where he was sort of seeking and asking for help. And then this major event sort of happens. Uh, so yeah, it was, a, it, and it was the balance of between, you know, my mom's, I was mainly over my mom's, in my mom's house when I was growing and I would visit my grandmother sometimes every now and then. Um, and it was just, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a tension because of what had happened and the rift and the gap um, that I just didn't, I didn't know, I didn't understand and, and I got older, but I, you know, I came from that, I was interested in art very young, like like my dad, like other people in my family, I just gravitated toward art and 
I was just observing the world around me and um, interpreting it and, and, and drawing. And I got into whatever caught my attention, like any any kid kid does. But I would draw it. Then I, then I got to recreating it. Then I was designing new characters and designing costumes for the characters and doing things like that. And that's how I that's where my interest in fashion peaked because I started designing costumes for my comic characters. Um, and it, at a certain point, I got, you know, introduced to art school, uh, put into art school because initially, you know, coming up, my family practiced Catholicism. My granddad was from Louisiana. They practiced Catholicism. So when he, when he came up to Chicago, he left because he was kind of getting in trouble. He had a mouth on him. So he had to get out of Louisiana and he was really happy to get out of Louisiana. He came to Chicago, he met my grandmother. He was a sharecropper too, he worked in the field. He was a sharecropper, um, hard worker, um, came to Chicago. Catholicism was what was in the household, right? Um, they, in service in Louisiana, they, I mean, their service was all was French, like the, you know, the whole service, right? Like they came from that. Um, so, you know, I was in, Catholic school the first, then I had made a transition to public school, which was tough for me because Catholic school was so close to home. Like my aunt was one of the teachers in the Catholic school, but it got too expensive, right? So you know, we went over to public school and public school was a whole nother world. I was a really shy kid uh, and all I had was art. Um, I was back and forth in between those public and private school until I stayed after second grade, I stayed. And I just dove into the art uh, it developed. Um, my mom put me into early college programs at the Art Institute. I started video. I was doing mixed media. I was doing painting, um, figure drawing, graphic design, fashion design. At a young age, I started like really getting interested, and it was great for me because it's what gave me the language. Like I was, I was literally looking at comic books, trying to figure out what they. I had no idea what a Photoshop was what a computer program, how they were getting this color on these pages. I remember like just looking at like trying to figure out like almost, and I didn't have a microphone glass, you know, and I was seeing pixels and not understanding what halftones were and what pixels were, you know? And I it just, I was at a really young age and I didn't have a language for these things. So once I started with art school, I got language and I took off. And it was crazy how like having distinctions and like language and things, um, can really just advance how you're able to articulate your own yourself, right? Because because now you have a means, a definition of distinguishing um, certain properties of a, an artwork, certain properties of rendering. It was crazy. And I just started to from there. My figure drawing went from like zero to sixty, like you know what I mean, like just super quick. Um, and I took to it really well. Uh, you know, there were, my dad wasn't around. There were a lot of things that were kind of going on personally, but at a certain point I stopped art like all together. And it was just, um, I was dealing with some depression. And that's it's what I know of it now. Like I hit like a, a depression in high school from like around 14, 14 to like 17. Mm. Um, and I didn't really feel great about myself. And I, I didn't really have 
sort of a source of, uh, of, of confidence. So I let that go and I started dancing because I was looking for, uh, I was looking for something more, more real. Like not, and art is not, it's not that art isn't real, right? Our objects aren't real, but I was looking at a way to physically express sort of what I was feeling in a different language. So um, I got into art and it was like, it was the closest thing that I could do. To, well, I got into dance and it was the closest thing I could do to being a superhero. It's like what I, <laughs> what I felt, right? Because like dance and when we found hip hop, it was all about self mastery in, in this way. Mm. Is it, it's about being the best. Um, I relate that to self mastery, right? Like you want to be the best graph artist. You, you want to be the best dancer. You have to train. You have to you know, really work on yourself. Uh, so it, it really helped, especially with the um, self-confidence, you know, it really, it really helped. Um, and it wasn't the thing itself that helped. It was the journey that I was going on. Mm. I mean, able to see results from the effort that I was putting in to help me. Um, so, you know, from there, I continued to create, got into college and started doing the graphic design thing because um, when I was expressing that I wanted to do art, there was apprehension, right? Like my mom was like, you know, I don't know, might want to do something with computers because <laughs> that's the way the world is going. You know, it was literally that conversation like, okay, I feel good about that. You're using, you're using computers, you're using technology. Okay, cool. You know, um, but it, it really worked out for me and that it gave me more distinction and it gave me more language and it gave me ways to communicate fully, right? To, to like layperson, to like anybody, you know, um, through type and image. It got me interested into that. Like then I, I started having these graphic design conversations with, with, with folks and my professors. And then we got into art history. And then, and, you know, I got to see a lot of like parallels with, with art history and, and how uh, design has like seen its way and how artists were both, you know, like people were, were all of the above. They were doing all of these things. Yeah. So it was a great, it was a really interesting time, like the, 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 the college time kind of formulating all of this. And then, then, you know, around the time I found out about my dad. So I started really owning my own narrative and um, addressing my fears about losing my mind. Like I knew my dad mm. had schizophrenia early in my life. Um, and if there is any form or any blueprint that you feel like you have as a man, I feel like, you know, a, a, a black man it is what your father did, right? It's, uh, it's, it's the image of God, right? We're made in the image of God. And then it is what your, your father, you know? So it was tough. I had a I had a fear of losing my mind for for a good amount of time, and um, I started to develop anxiety about life, and about, and I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was something that was brewing. So um, I started translating it into my art and using my art as like vehicles to express that unease that I was feeling, so that I didn't have to hold on to it. Mm. So. The art became that 
and that's when I first started kind of talking about mental health and kind of dealing with things. Um, so I could identify these things outside of myself. So I'll make these little characters and they would be, they would represent a certain emotion. They would represent a, a certain like state of mind, a certain way, way of being um, as a way to, uh, yeah, to like deal, I, I would say, and not be so anxious. But yeah, that's sort of like my, that's the, you know, story when it starts to connect to real, like uh, other things that were going on. And I started to feel like, understand like my value to my immediate community was when I grew up, I was always interested in these weird, these different things. So I, I sought out breakdancing. I sought out all of these other avenues of creativity. And I was around people who were that committed to their self-expression too. And those people, of course, grew to be DJs and to be musicians and to all these other things. And they needed artwork, you know? So I started like, you know, and, I, and my whole, like breaking really put the, like breakdancing really put the mind state of be the best, this competitive edge, this competitive nature. So when I got to design school, it was all about that. It was like, I'm competing, let's go. Like, you know what I mean? Like whose piece, whose piece is the best? Who is out here really doing it, you know? Um, because I knew I was about to go into the world and really be exposed to the entire world. And I, I learned from dance, you know, that competitive, that competitive environment determines how good you're going to get. If you're around people that aren't great at what you're doing, uh, you know, are, are better than you, you have a ceiling, you know? So, man, it was, it was really about that. Like I putting myself through the fire in my first year of college, actually, I went to Alabama A&M uh, university and it just wasn't a, a new, um, it wasn't enough competition. Mm. I had to come back home. And like, I couldn't afford Parsons. I wanted to go to Parsons in New York. Couldn't afford that. That was $33,000 at the time. Who knows what it is right now? Bro. So yeah, it was back home. I got them Pell Grants. I got them, you know, the grants for being in the state. So let's go. Um, but yeah, that competitive edge is what, what drove me to like, no, I should be doing your album cover to my friends. Mm. Like, nah, I'm gonna do that. You know, and it started kind of picking up like its own momentum um, and what I was able to kind of communicate creatively, drawing from all of my experiences in life. I kind of figured it like, oh, wow, that's what makes the thing that I do like unique or different, you know? Um, so, yeah, you know, and just before like so the, the period in in before high school, well, after high school, when I got to to um, to college, um, was about a whole level of sort of discovery. Really, I knew about, I was introduced introduced to Photoshop, but making it work for me. Um, so, I, I absorbed a lot of images. You know, I like I love seeing your images. You, your images are some of like my favorite images, right? So, ah, oh, thank you, but, brother. For sure, for sure, and. Um, you know, I was big on that. I would go to a barber shop when I was when I was really young, and you know, I, I think this is a conversation about training the eye, right? Because I, I feel like as, as a designer, as a creative, you have to you have to train the eye. You have to introduce your eye to. And for me, it started with Jet magazines, Jet and Ebony magazines, like looking through Ed, mm. Ebony and Jet. And in the barber shop I went to, I went. To, it was a, a Muslim barber shop on a 79th 
and Evans. And back in the day, my mother mother would tell you all those businesses were black owned. Muslims own like so many businesses on 79th Street. Things changed, you know. Um, and then, you know, certain businesses started changing. Some of the businesses stayed. One of them that stayed was the Muslim barbershop. Uh, Abdul, uh, James, and another brother in there that I'm forgetting his name. They were older guys who would go in there, they would play jazz. You, you, the smell, like the vibe was totally different than what it was in like in my home. And they had magazines while you waited to get your hair cut. And I flipped through magazines for the 30 minutes or whatever it was, or waiting for my cousins to get their hair cut. I'm, I'm, I'm training my eye, you know what I mean? I'm building like images and, and really developing that. Um, so, you know, I get out of school, like college, and, you know, I'm drawing from all of those experiences to, to be able to elevate my presentation. Um, and I get into the creative field. I, I wasn't really able to land a full-time gig because for me, I wanted to express myself. And I really didn't understand how much I was really in the service industry, you know? <laughs> I wanted to do these illustrations. I wanted to do, and there was no jobs for people doing illustrations. You know, it was like very few. Um, which what there were jobs for were web design because everyone needed banner ads. Everyone needed all of these these things. So, at what time were we talking now? Like, you know, yeah. like what what era? Because I mean, illustrations are huge now. So yeah. you know, just understanding the ways in which you know the creative pulse. Um, of culture shifts and changes over time. Like, so about what time was this? Right now we're talking about um, 2006. Okay. Like two, 2006, you know, and it started to kind of like rev up what would, uh, I don't know if you know what Chuck Anderson is. Mm -mm, no. Chuck, Chuck Anderson is a no pattern, right? He started, he did one of Lupe's, he did Lupe's food and cover, food and liquor album cover back in the day. But he, he really uh, was one of the people that were ushering in this new level of illustration, this photographic, Photoshop-based uh, illustration. It wasn't wasn't by hand. It was really interesting. But it it gave a lot of people that were trying to do that a lot of hope, you know. Um, but through that era, like they, like when you get freelance gigs as illustration, they mainly wanted you to do storyboards mm. for something else, right? And a lot of it wasn't wasn't a lot of work so i had to learn web development so i taught myself how to develop websites to in order to survive you know i was going this route like you know i guess i'm going to try to be a creative director but i never fit in i never quite fit in um the things that i wanted to express were always more than people wanted to deal with in those places and it was tough it was tough really wanting to elevate Something I really wanted to contribute, I would say, and being around folks who wish they were doing something else, mm. or, or being around folks who like, you know, didn't want to. It was too. That was too much work for them. For them to like actually uh, utilize the talent that you were bringing in the in the building, <laughs> you know. So, and then what was crazy was that I started doing the album covers and get notoriety for that. And I was doing that with somebody who is from the neighborhood that I'm from, like, you know, with people who are from the communities I'm already from. And that was the more valuable thing. Mm. Like, it's it just weird. I, I, I could barely get a gig at an agency. All of a sudden, the next day, they wanted me to talk there. 
They wanted me to speak to their employees. They wanted me to do all of this stuff. And it was almost like overnight. And it was because um, I was doing work that I was passionate about, you know? And yeah, like it's it just a crazy mind been to like, yeah, to, to all of a sudden be like in demand when I feel like people didn't want you in a building, mm. <laughs> you know? Mm. Uh, so that's kind of how I, that's a all over the place kind of origin, but that's, that's the, the journey. That was a journey for me. And I draw from those experiences. Um, now, and I live in the neighborhood that I was raised in now. Um, and I continue to continue to, to do that, uh, continue to draw from that to create the future, to build new realities, to expand my own perception of what's possible to question, uh, question our motives, question our perspective. Uh, yeah, just, just, just question our paradigm, you know? Uh, but yeah, that's, that's me. That's uh, who I am and that's the journey. <laughs> well, brother, thank you so much for taking us on that beautiful journey. You dropped so many gems um, and intuitively answered like five questions already that I had. So I just let you ride. I was just like, I mean, he's in it. So I'm going to just let him go. I love I'm it. I'm sorry, man. Like, no, 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 no. There's zero apologies. No, I appreciate <laughs> I, I try to create space for people to, you know, tell their stories um, and so that we can share them. Right. So we we have a documentation. We have our own oral history of the lives that we've lived. And so, no, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, but I want to circle back to a couple of things because, well, one, when did you first encounter art? Like when when was that initial encounter and then you and what was that feeling that it gave you where you knew like this was a place of exploration of curiosity? Yeah. So, so for me, um, it, it might've been animation because it was the most accessible. So it was television shows like, uh, Thundercats, Silverhawks and seeing that and like, uh, seeing those worlds that were being built. But in a way I kind of feel like, it has just been always a part of the way I expressed myself. And it's just almost like I, I got to this point where I figured out, well, you know, people tell me, oh, you can make a career out of this. And like, well, what's a career? And why do I care about a career? You know what I mean? Like, but it was so much a part of who I was, you know what I mean? And who I know myself as, um, it didn't feel separate from me. It has never felt separate mm. from me, but of course, there were there were points and things you encounter to make you want to do it more, right? And for me, that was animation. And then when I got to comic books, and it's those things because it's those things that I had access to, you know. I, African art as well, because my you know my mom had she had she has a, I have it in my studio now, um, a Maasai mask that I have as long as I can remember that was up on our walls, you know. And it was, it, it is uh, just one of those things that like I always want to to have, and all and one of those things that were was like uh, a window into craft 
craftsmanship and the window into art. Um, yeah, so between that, my between the Maasai, the Maasai specifically, because my grandmother also has this had this huge book on the Maasai, and every time every time I would go over a place, I would look through look through the book, and it was like it was my closest access to um, to African culture, African art, African customs. Uh, so I feel like simultaneously, not knowing it at the time, I was being informed on both of these ends. Yeah, and you speak a lot about um, you know your your father's mental health journey, which you know has shaped so much of of just your own creative output and like the way you see the world. But like, what lessons did your mother teach you? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so many. I mean, processing everything, and he also you know she didn't. She didn't make my dad out to be a bad person for me. Mm. And she was very intentional about that, about not uh, not like speaking bad on my father's name because she knew my father for who he was in the, in the great moments that they had together. So, um, you know, she, of course, in the beginning, she was like really apprehensive about about some things, but I think that's one thing to to like give people grace, you know, um, and and know that like there is a huge part of this world that's just out and it's not in our favor. Mm. It's against us. Like my mom was born in 1960, you know, so just the like the vantage point she has is just like you know like. 1960 in Chicago, you know, South Side, like living in living in through segregation, um, living through like the Black Power movement, and seeing it from the lens of a, of a child that was kind of growing up in the midst of all of that, uh, and it's just really interesting to have conversations with her about that, about about what was going on nationally with Black folks, mm. and also the immediate communities. You know, and how she would talk about like there were lounges on every corner. Like when you when you, when you go down the street, and her her talking about the characters, and and her her grandmother owned a lounge, and she was very independent, independent woman. Um, was a, she was a trip, man, but it, and and she, but she got things done, man, and and just to have her perspective and that reference of it, like so, mama, so much. Um, so much. I mean, I really believe I am uh, a result of my mother's vision. Mm. Pretty, pretty accurately. And I, I see her as a visionary. Um, yeah. What and, was her vision? I think, uh, you know, her, her vision for, for me, for like the world, you know, um, I, I should say the world for me in this world or for uh, what role I was to take was to, 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 to be free to chart my own way. You know, she like kind of laid that down like very early on. She talked to me about entrepreneurship very early in life. And it was one of the reasons why, you know, I 
got guided in that direction. And I started like, okay, dude, I'm gonna do my own t-shirt. And I did, wasn't asking permission from people. You know, I couldn't afford Parsons, but that wasn't gonna stop me from starting a t-shirt company. You know, I wanted to go to fashion design school there. Well, I'm gonna do it on my own. We're gonna figure this out on my own. And, you know, and I think a lot of that was, was her making room for me to have that space to play, mm -hmm. have that space to, to really be present, you know? Um, yeah, so, and, and she's always said, she's, she saw me doing from very young what I'm doing today, you know? She saw me moving, being a traveler. Like, so I, I say in that way, that's what her vision was. And, and it's, it's because she wasn't given that space to do that. She had to work for the family, really start working at 14. She had to work for the family. And her check was like going to going to the family. You know, she wanted to go to school, but she was being discouraged from going to school because her mother didn't like school. So like nobody in the family was really it, it's like it's a lot. It's a lot, man. Um, but you know, um she wanted to make sure I had that space. So she gave it, you know, to me. She let me kind of go and do do my thing that's that's beautiful i think about <clears throat> even even now talking with my parents and it's interesting when you hear particularly the things that they were not able to do um and realizing how much of your life our lives are the lives that perhaps they didn't get to have or that they sacrificed or you know dreams you know, ancestral memory and DNA memory is crazy because it's dreams that my mother even never expressed to me until I'm a full blown adult. And then I realize, oh, babe, I'm you. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing it. Like, I, I totally get that. Um, but I, I want to also circle back to that time you mentioned in high school when you were like 14 and depressed. Like, do you know or can you recall like perhaps what triggered that and then also what took you out of it? And and I, I, I'm interested in that because I'm just thinking about <clears throat> just other young, young, you know, people of color, um, particularly young black men. And that's a really pivotal age, you know, like that's like just breaking into puberty um, and you're trying to like balance your internal dialogue with like what the world is expecting of you, right? Mm -hmm. As a, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a young black boy. And then also as a man, right? Like the way society kind of like looks at you already as, as a threat, you know? And so what, you know, do you remember what maybe triggered that depression and then what actually also brought you out of it? Yeah. So, um, Yeah, so, and, you know, my father had some issues around 14. Yeah. For some time I was doing like, I was practicing like energetic healing. And I was introduced Wait, to Wait, at, at 14? No, 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 this is, this, no, this is like, <laughs> this, this is when I was like in my, in my 20s, okay. right? When I learned out about my dad and I took him to a diva, she's like a, healer, uh, intuitive person to do a session. And she bought up 14 years old for him. And that was the time that his dad left the home. And we started experimenting with drugs and he started doing a lot of other things. 
Um, so man, this is like, oh, okay. I'm, I'm gonna get into this and then I'm, I'm gonna go back to, to my 14. So around 2003, 2006, in, in between there, I believe. Um, was this even like, yeah, I think, I think, I believe it was around this time. I started waking up in the morning and I couldn't really uh, talk. It was, I, it was just, it was weird. Like I had trouble swallowing when I would lay down and I, I couldn't really, couldn't really speak. And I was wondering what was going on. This is around the time my dad came back home because he was in, in Houston for a while. He went down for treatment. I couldn't, I couldn't really speak all that well. So I went to see a diva and I knew a diva because we took a, a course together, like an energetic um, electromagnetic field balance. Uh, there's a lot of these courses and stuff out there, right? Where, 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 where the courses at? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's like, it's like a lot of it's like a, a lot of like new age things, but I think people are, have natural, natural abilities for like healing and, uh, and uh, they, they just do. A lot of it got monetized um, through these certain forms, right? And through like this certain, these certain practices in this new age kind of mindset, right? And they got put into these things and people registered whatever they call, whatever they call them, it's like magnified healing, there's electromagnetic field balancing, there's the Melchizedek method, there's like, there's other things. And then other, other practices from different places like Reiki, there's body talk, there's all of these things, these, these avenues and these modalities of healing Right. And, you know, they, they, they're monetized. Right. Because people teach you how to do this thing and then you go. Right? But I met a diva. She and it, when, when folks healers go on, they search for things now in this era, you encounter a lot of that. So if you're a natural healer and you're going through your search, searching on how to um, um, really live into your ability or really utilize your gifts, you're going to encounter like that new age uh, group of folks and stuff, too. And we did too. And that was the time I was in dancing. So it was all about like self-mastery, self-refinement. So the healing found us immediately. The healing, the meditation, all of this stuff, we, we were into it. Um, so I took a class this once and I took it with Adiva and she was she was committed to it. She was an older woman and she was, super, she was really committed to everything. So fast forward this time where I'm waking up and I can't really talk, you know, I go see Adiva cause I'm like, I, I need to know what's going on. I need to do like a body talk session or something. I didn't talk, I didn't say about anything. I laid on the table. She did the session. She was like, like, okay. And it's like a kinesiology, kinesiology type of thing. She's like, okay, this is on this side of your body. So this has to do with your father. That it has to do with uh, something that's going on with your father, his life. And not, she didn't know it, but my father had just come back to Chicago from Houston because of his treatment. Um, and man, how do I, it's hard. It's really hard for me to like, to say and articulate this sometimes. I mean, breathe a little bit okay so um she was saying that like it's something that he needs to hear from you and that's why um that's that's what's going on with your speech there's something that you need to say to him that is probably the reason why you're having this problem with breathing and it was crazy to me because she didn't know anything about my dad she didn't know what was going on but she knew that was a well, the cause of it. After this point, I went and had a conversation with my dad, talked to him about everything, and um, pretty much 
address what had happened with my grandfather before and no one has spoken to him about it since the moment it happened like nobody in the family spoke to him about it and i'm like dad i don't know what's going on like i went to see somebody about this and this is when borders were open we went down to border books we had a conversation look i love you i never held anything against you for what happened to granddad i don't know exactly what happened in that situation but my mother never taught me to be to have you know to be angry or feel or, you know have any ill will toward you and i love you um and it was a i, I didn't realize the weight in the moment because no one in the family has spoken to him about this until later when i talked to my sister and she was like wow it's like no one talked to him about that in the family um a couple days later throat cleared up i was fine waking up breathing fine um i took him to her she did a session on him she bought up the age 14 and it was the age he started using because his dad was out of the house so to your point when you say that age is critical it is you know it is and it changed the trajectory his father not being in there drastically changed the trajectory of all of our everything to, to come afterwards for me at 14 um, what triggered it for me was really like the things that family would say like i had things that like my grandmother would say to me and my family would say to me um that wasn't all that great and it was due to the trauma that they experienced things like what um just how i wasn't good enough how i was lazy how i was not gonna do this how i was not gonna do that like how just a lot a lot of and i didn't feel good about myself you know I did I felt ugly. I felt all I, I felt terrible about myself. And a lot of it was just internal, I think internal um, things that were never resolved with her. And I feel like in many ways is a reflection of how she felt about herself. Um, and, and everybody around her was a mirror. And it was it was kind of and she she is just was straight she because she she had a huge heart, but she experienced some things abuse at a at a young age. Uh, her mother wasn't the her mother owned a lounge wasn't the typical. From what I know to woman of, of this era. You know, there's stories about it. She's like. You know, there's a lot, a lot of stories. But um, somebody, you know, my grandmother got abused by somebody who was close to her in her circle. And I don't even know if my grandmother, um, my great grandmother knew that happened to grandma. But um, she was living that life. She was living that life. And she was out there. She was, she was dating a cat burglar at one point, like a jewelry thief. Um, other people who owned, like she, you know, her, nick her nickname was Honeybait. That's what everybody knew her as. And it created it like an environment. And, you know, I talked to my aunt around this time and she was like, you know, alcohol and a lot of those things were just part of the culture. Like that's what people did. 
when they, you know, come home from work, they go, they drink, and that's just what it was. Like, it was just part of the culture. And as we know, you know, there are a lot of sicknesses that I don't think people fully understood at that time that, that come from that type of abuse. Mm. So a lot of it was, I feel rooted in, rooted in those areas. And um, yeah, man, this is a, this is sort of a, a deep dive, but I, I, you know, yeah. And what happened at 17 that brought you out of it? Um, I think, I think what happened was that uh, I began to really experience myself through art in a different way. Hmm. I began to uh, connect with people in a different way. Uh, and I got a chance to see something that I was doing be, be worth something, some effort that I was putting it in being, uh, having some results, you know, having some real results. I was, I was able to see myself kind of get better at something in front of, in front of my eyes. Sometimes with artists kind of, it's, it's hard because you, you, you live with it every day. And if you don't have your old drawings up, you know what I mean? If you don't have like, if you're not literally doing that, that whole thing, um, you can't, it's hard to see the progress and it's hard to see the development. So that knowing that, I could put effort into doing something and I literally could do what I set my in, intent to was a great, and I think every child like needs that. I think that's why sports are so are so good for, for children as well, or can be, right? Not all the time, right? Um, but because it people tell you that all the time, oh, you can do what you want, you can be what you want, but until you have the experience of you actually putting your effort towards something that you want to do, and getting a, the result about a gratifying result about it. it's hard to understand that like you know and, and if around you you don't see anybody else doing anything like worthwhile what reason do you have to believe that that is the truth mm. you know it would just tell you that you can be whatever you want to be great but you know it was my you know it, it was me giving myself space and time to like to not only uh to understand that not just hear it so i think that is what pushed me outside of of that depression at that point in my life, uh, that, that cloud or whatever, whatever you want to say. Um, but yeah, you. I mean, I got I got at fourteen. I got that at home, but then I was also getting that at school too. You know, like yeah, kids can be cruel, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, right? yeah. And like if if they were coming from unhealthy like environments too you know mm -hmm. it it breeds a condition of that and um yeah that can be devastating for people yeah it can be it can be it can be devastating yeah and and i well first of all thank you so much for for sharing that and i think it's really interesting when you spoke about you know your grandmother you know seeing you as a mirror of sorts and i mean that's really really it right that is the base truth right like we are constantly co-creating you know our reality and the people we encounter are you know both mirrors and doors right like mirrors to show us um ourselves and then you know hopefully maybe a portal um into a new place um and so i want to i want to pivot 
to speaking specifically about like your work, I know um, many people are familiar with your work with Chance the Rapper and, um, you know, designing those three album covers. But it's also a really interesting story, even how you went about designing some of those, which I'd like to get into. Um, but how did this collaboration come about? Yeah. Um, so the collaboration came about because just before then, I was doing some album covers for some folks. And I did this one album cover called uh, The Decadence for this group, Christian Rich. And they happened to be some guys that were from Chicago. I think they were living in New York at the time. But they I didn't know it, but they worked on music. We were like 16, 17 working in Chicago at the Taste of Chicago. Fast forward later to when I'm in my 20s and they're making music now. And they're like, oh, can you do this? I saw some of your art. I remember you because I worked with you in Chicago. Can you uh, do this album cover for us? So yeah, I spent about, I spent, I think it was like 14 days total to like get everything like this piece down. Um, and it's the first time I, do, I did anything like it. And yeah, it got all, it, it put up put them on blogs. They were working for, with Pharrell at the time, so Pharrell reblogged it, and all of these people like reblogged it. And I think it was the first time that like I didn't really understand what viral was. Like you couldn't really like it was just a different time. Well, right? you said reblog, which already tells me what time this is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Like I'm sorry, what? Yeah, so it was like Tumblr. It was like, Right, you know, it was a it was a time, but anyway, it was. I, I I didn't really realize how far around the world it got until kids that I was in the same city knew about the artwork, but didn't know anything about me. Didn't know a Chicago a Chicago artist did it. You know, it was like wow, this is like. I didn't realize the internet was this vast. You know, what I mean? <laughs> like I knew it, but you just like. How how can some artwork that I made meet me around the corner? You know what I mean? Like it's just kind of crazy. Um, but from there, his manager at the time saw that work and um, reached out to me. Like, man, you know, I want you to do this work, this kid. And I had heard one of his songs before, and it made it made sense. You know, I think we as a community help one another get to where we're going you know, um, by just, by uh, when we're open, when we're open to sharing and we're, when we're open to be inspired. And that's that's what it was. It was music that was coming out of a community that I was from that I felt good about. I felt like it was inspiring, that I felt like was was another direction. So of course I wanted to contribute um, as much as, as I could. One, because I knew that um, I, I knew the music was great. I was moved to go beyond myself to create whatever it was for this thing to kind of be its own thing. And I know it would be a platform in which people would see the work, right? Like, you know, be, like just like the last cover I did, right? And I kind of didn't know what to do with any of that energy. I was just like, oh, that's, thank you. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, I did it because all of those reasons. Uh, like, you know, we engaged in that because of all of those reasons. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how it happened. And we met, we we talked, and um, I just did the cover. I turned it in like 7 a.m. the day that the mixtape was going live mm. on Picture Drive or something, on Ill Roots. 
and he was kind of worried like it was a whole thing but it was literally me walking a path that i never walked before to get to uh, the result that i felt like was going to do him the most service in this market um and it worked and how did you overcome those those feelings right i can only imagine what it must feel like to like enter a new what well, one have this kind of um un, unplanned success right this kind of like mm-hmm. reaction in the cultural sphere um and then to come back and then be asked to like deliver uh again you know in a different sphere i can only imagine what that journey was like like how did you push past those nights where you maybe thought they chose the wrong person um uh that's interesting like uh, that's interesting i think we are of course this is obviously we are our, our biggest critic right but like we're also like the lens through which uh um mm, people get to see um, like the magnitude of, of, of our work. Like we, mm-hmm. you know, we, we control that gateway, like, you know, and, and the, the more effort we're willing to invest in the image being um, what we see it is in our mind and what we know it is in, in, in our heart, the clearer that gets communicated to to like other people. When I go into projects, uh, I'm not necessarily, I'm not trying to play it safe. I'm trying to play it right. Mm. And and if it is a medium that I haven't worked in, I'm not afraid of taking a risk because I trust myself enough to bring it to where it needs to be. Right? So I approach things like I take risks, look crazy sometimes, not, you know, like whatever, but I'm taking the risk because I believe that I can pull the result where it needs to be. I can bring it past the finish line. Tough sometimes is right on the dime, right? Right at the time. And people don't, it's hard. People get, cause they get upset, you know, and like a lot of other things happen with that and they, they get into the expectations and why, well, you know, for me, it's not about a lot of that. It's about like hitting that mark. Um, and that was me early. I'm speaking to who I was at that time. Right now, I've gotten a lot better about not handing in things an hour before it's due. <laughs> you know, so, so yeah, so there's time for feedback and things, right? But I mean, at the time, we were, we were, we were artists trying to make an impact. But man, for me, it's just that, like, if I got to stay up tonight to kind of get this to where it needs to be to resolve this thing, um, I'm going to resolve it. Mm. I'm not going to send them something halfway done. We're going to resolve this and we're going to move on, <laughs> you know? So that's kind of like, that's like my attitude when it comes to that. How did you develop that trust in yourself that you're just like, I know it's crazy, but I got it. Yeah. What's yeah. that mechanism of, de- of, of, of developing that trust? Oh man, it's a, the whole time I think it's a it's like an up and down thing. You know, it it can be like a, a, an up and down thing. And I think in many ways it's like, yo, I'm trying to go to sleep. <laughs> so, you know, honestly, like in a way it's like, hey, I'm trying to like and I want to sleep well when I sleep. So, I need to know that I did that and you know, creative processes can take 
you know, I think I, I can't think of what it's called. There's a name for it, but it's a, it's a um, it, it pretty much says that when you have like we find clever ways to fill up time. And when you have a month to do something, mm. you'll find a way to fill up that time in order to deliver it at the end of that month. Right. Right. So at some point, I have to decide when to switch that switch to go into overdrive and resolve the thing and get it like where it can, right? So I think it's a delicate balance of that sometimes too. Like, and it's tough because you have to get over yourself and get past yourself sometimes to dive into something creatively. Is this gonna work? I don't know, is this, ah, you know, you're going through all of these things in your mind, like. But I think that once you do that and once you commit to that, you can complete and, you know, it, it and be done. So it's, it's, I don't want to say like it's it's easier or anything or developing that trust is easy. Um, I, I think nothing else can say that but like time, right? Because if I didn't put enough time into what I was doing, my resolve wouldn't be as refined if it was five years before in my practice, right? So um, I think a part of it is also is, is believing enough in yourself to do that thing consistently so that you, um, so that what you do is informed by all of that practice, by all of that effort and that work that you put in. So when you do have to like, okay, I have to, I know this can be an ongoing thing, but I have to wrap this up and I have to utilize that experience and that ability to be able to wrap this up in this amount of time, let's go. You know, mm -hmm. that last hour or whatever is like, all right, cool. Or that last day or that overnight, I got to do this. I didn't think it was going to take this long. Okay, I'm gonna work through this and we're done. So I, I look at it like I look at it like that. It is it is the it is a practice that gives you the confidence to do it and the, the belief enough in yourself to even get to the practice part. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think also just getting past that story in your head, you know, that it's always that you just like just push past the story or just drop it. Right. And just like get started, like just get started, like get the juices going and, 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 and doing it multiple times. Right. Like I think the key word there you said is practice so that you even just get used to your own process once you, and then you can accept, Oh, this is just my process. Okay, cool. And then you're able to like execute and deliver on time. And then, you know, maybe even deliver a little bit, maybe sometimes ahead of time. <laughs> Mm -hmm. No, great point. Process, you know, amazing point. Because, yeah, when you understand that, you can say, okay, and you're more accurate. I can handle this in three days. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell them four, though, just to, you know, <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, yeah and I want to go circle back um, because in some of your designs with um, these album covers, you actually encoded them in a way right like you put yeah. some numerology in there like there are other elements that you mixed into this design scape that you created could you speak a bit about that and why you chose to do that yeah this that's interesting that's an interesting point you know i think in a certain way is i feel the responsibility to um to imbue the works that i have or that i that i take on with uh, some some level of measure, um, was with I, I, where I am at the moment, and also what I know up until this moment, mm. right? 
like so I kind of feel the need to like in, put in or encode some things to to speak to um, all that I've learned or like the most that I have like learned in in a, in a very I think it's in a very practical way because like really like the result of a work you do today is 10 years of study or 10 years or whatever right but I like to hide these these sort of things or this insight in there that's also like, oh, this is also what I learned on the way. Or like, th this seems to fit this project well. And even with the chance, with the 33, with the number numerology, the more things that I, I knew about him and began to like know about that process, involving numerology into that made sense. There's, numer there's numerology in ancient texts all over the place, you know? And like, and it's just like, this is super fit, fitting. We're we're setting the stage for um, this moment that we're presenting as it was destined. It was written in the stars, you know. So I think involving numerology and involving those things in them only seem right to that. And it also is um, it also is is like a um, a Easter egg on what I'm aware of up until this moment what's know? an easter egg like an easter egg is like a uh, easter egg in like a video game they it, i think they use this term i think where it came from video game it's like a hidden level mm. or like a hidden gym in the level they call them easter eggs my bad i didn't mean to use no no game. no it's no I, <laughs> I love it you know i learn something new every day i appreciate it but yeah i mean yeah. even the you know i think it was the like as acid rap yeah Acid rap, I know you really kind of imbued that, but then you know the latest one with the three on his hat, and then you put oh, that's 30 um, that's um, coloring book. That yes. was the third one. Yes, yeah. coloring book. Um, mm -hmm. But you, but did you do it in the first one as well? Because I know in, in acid rap you did like with stars and this kind of. Yeah. Um, it just it leveled up over time, and it was kind of like building on the concept and adding more new information as we went as we went on and as i found out more things about the person right it was really about like how how does this story evolve in as as many ways as we can like how does it how do the colors evolve how do they begin to tell a story you know so in, in that first reference to the first image it was a black and white image and i added the color to it and it was pretty much you know, as it is, and it was like, how else do people see the sky? What other colors do people see in the sky? You know, what are the times of day are there? What other seasons are there? As, as we, if we're exploring the sky, if we're exploring this individual in their several states, because like the, you I think of the universe, of course, is a, a macrocosm of like the individual or like the individual is a microcosm of the, like the broader universe. And that's what I was trying to have sort of that conversation loosely with, with this thing, like it's just him in the universe that he is, or the or the universe verse that uh, that he is is a part of, right? Mm. So I was trying to kind of like move through evolving the sort of the, the complexity and like also the regalness of it, right? Because like at the end, it's like almost like this red and then this gold highlight around him, right? Like he's being backlit by the sun, you know, like this, you know, really bringing these these thoughts and the and this elevating this form more. And I wasn't really touching on numerology that much until I got to the third piece. And he's a, his life path is 33, which is like, 
as I was like researching all of these things, I realized that and I'm like, oh, I got to incorporate that mm. into the story now, because that's something I didn't know when we did the first cover, you know, mm-hmm, I knew mm-hmm. we would. I knew what we were we were saying. Okay, this was this was destined. Oh, this is written in the stars, whether you like it or not. You know, that was like the attitude about it, right? Mm. But by the time we got to the third one, it was like, wow, like I didn't even need to draw the lines of the constellations. It's just like, no, this is gonna be, yeah, it's gonna be a certain number of them. And that's it. Yeah. Like so, so what do you think is the most important thing like designers should consider when they're working with clients? Uh, for me. For me personally, it is listening mm-hmm. and not and like also being able to hear what's not being said, mm. you know, and I feel like what I do as a visual communicator is uh, is uh, take a message, synthesize it and put it out as an image. Right. So that's what I just that's all I try to do. Like, how can I do that the most justice possible, you know? How can I say, how can I like, like you, if you say something to me, how can I rephrase your words into a, into a way that these people can understand? Mm-hmm. Well, how can I rephrase these words into a, a language that people who don't have time to hear you talk would understand? You know what I mean? With they just seeing the thing. So I think that's what it, it really comes down to. I think kind of being committed to that and like caring, caring about the project. My effort and my time in the ad, ad agencies taught me that like you really have to care about the work that you're doing because mm. it because if you don't like even if it's work you don't want to care about you know what i mean like you have to care about the work you're doing if you want to have a great internal personal experience with yourself to mm-hmm. be like you know at peace because as much as we don't want we care about our contribution we care about the time that we put into things. We care about what we have to offer. It's easy to lose sight of that because of all like politics that can happen. A lot of a lot of things, but yo, know, that that is your calling card. You know how how you show up to the job and how you deliver, despite what is going on with you personally, is the thing um, that is going to lead to your next job. And it's also the thing that uh, I feel like we can consistently uh, believe in and have faith in when we show up and continue to build our own confidence. Mm-hmm. If you don't give yourself time to exercise those muscles, to do that, if you want to, if you want to check out a lot of times, like you don't feel so great about yourself at the end of the process. Yeah, um, And that, that's just like how I interpret it. And it wasn't until I like, I, I worked, these agencies doing these different projects, it wasn't until like I said, like, I, you know, I have to care about this work and I have to care about how I show up that I actually started feeling good when I, even if it wasn't my ideal client, I could walk away from this feeling good. Mm. So caring, it goes a long way. <laughs> <laughs> and like, who inspires you? Like, like who are the greats? Like who's a part of like your imaginary creative council, like other other graphic designers, like just figures in, in the world that could be even people personally in your life. Man, oh my god, uh, that's hard. Um, Give me like rap version, like top five. Top five. <laughs> uh, Theaster is 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 somebody that really inspires me. Yeah, Theaster um, Gates. Yeah, Theaster Gates. Um, just approach just the radical, radical imagination and also incorporating people, man. 
he's so good at like bringing people together and building with people. And that is the basis of it all. And, many, and, and for me, how I feel, right? I, I like, I really appreciate that from him and him showing. Um, and then uh, the, the power of alchemy too, mm. to be able to transform like what's in front of you and, 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 and transform how people are able to imagine in a place mm-hmm. through the conversations you're willing to have about that place. Mm-hmm. Um, so him for sure, I would say other folks, I, and these are people I haven't I haven't met, but I've just looked at their work and like, oh man, I really admire his his work, his approach. David Carson, he 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 just did a, a master class too. He's like '90s graphic designer guy, known for disrupting shit, just disrupting. Oh things. yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, so he I like David Carson too, and he was sort of like at the time we were doing graphic design, uh, he was like one of the, the bench benchmarks of a free thinking kind of help evolving the, the, the medium. Um, oh man, who else? <laughs> who else? Well, you know, speaking of David Carson, like, you know, I'm interested, you know, you, you are a, an artist working in multiple disciplines, but one of them, you know, being graphic design um, and knowing that there are a lot of, you know, graphic designers of color who are operating but like, what, why do you feel like we're not seeing them at like your level? Like, why do we not have, why are they not teaching master classes? Do you know what I mean? Like, why are yeah. they not a part of the canon? Like, what is that dissonance? Because anybody who lives in any environment where there are clubs, lounges, somebody selling weed, whatever, like there's graphic design. We're surrounded by, if you live in a Dominican neighborhood in fucking New York, every Every like closed down store is full on the outside of like graphic design, posters, concerts, whatever. So yeah. people are reading and thinking and doing, but why are we not seeing them at a certain level? Man, you asked the question, man. Um, me, I, I honestly think it really came down to, to access, to education, to access and the tools and the skills to be able to uh, do a thing and not just do a thing, but know, how to do it effectively by having like examples, instruction, um, knowing these themes, knowing about golden ratio, kn- knowing about color theory, being exposed to those. Those don't define an artist or individual completely, however. But when you know all the rules, you can break them a whole lot better. You know what I mean? And a lot of times I feel like we, like even early on graphic design, like you, uh, early sign painting things, a lot of people, had to do it themselves. They didn't have all this instruction. So you have inconsistencies from this sign to that sign to all of these things, which makes it like amazing, right? Cause that is like what I love about the Harold's chicken signs in Chicago. All of them are different, you know what I mean? But at the same time, it's kind of like, if, you, if you're really trying to, to, to build on that and strengthen that, um, those systems make it way easier, um, help a whole lot. And a lot of that, a lot of, you know, knowing why that's important has to do with education, with broader exposure, with knowing about having taken art history classes. Like, you know, I I got my degree and I was studying art history. I was studying type and image. I was studying all of these things. 
I was in a better position to produce a better product than anybody around me in my community. I had a privilege of that because I, I went through the school. Like I went through the thing. I, I took the steps. I broke the rules of my way, but I knew about it. I knew about Russian constructivism. You know what I'm saying? I knew about Dada. Like I knew about these things. So I can apply this shit in like a, like a way that, bam, I'm getting a result. When I put stuff down, it's hidden. And it's hidden because I had access. I paid for that access, took a lot longer than it took other people to get to that access. But that's what it was. And I think that's why you don't, you don't see it as much. I think I love what Virgil is doing too. And Virgil is one, is one of those beacons in that place too, because he's having these conversations about things. Whether he put the, the golden section, a golden rectangle on a t-shirt or whatever else the case, like people can, you feel however you want to about it. He's exposing people to what that is. So now mm. kids are out there doing stuff, research it, know what this about, know your history. He had the ability to travel around the world with Kanye as he was learning all of this other stuff. You know, a lot of us didn't get that ability, right? But he's putting it on these items and he's putting it in these places, leaving breadcrumbs all over the place. So that's why I really appreciate about what he's doing, because you're right. We don't see a whole lot of black folks in that. But we also didn't see a lot of black folks in the tech space. And they kept us out intentionally because they didn't want us there to be able to make that money. They didn't want us to have influence in this space. So we we, I think, constantly deal with that. I think the advantage of it, though, is that when we do get coming to the space, our perspective is so much different. And our, expect, our perspective on things can add a whole nother level layer that people weren't seeing because everyone is is is, is the frog, right? <laughs> no one has the bird bird's eye view. It's like people coming in outside of it. The innovators are usually the generalists and they can see things at like a broader, a broader scope. And, I think being a black in America, you almost have to be a general, you almost have to look at things from far away because I might have to get my money this way. I might have to go this way this day. You know, you really have, I gotta be able to switch these skills, switch gears whenever, cause I don't know, you know? So I think that's also what, what gives us uh, some strength in, in, in a lot way. Now I think it's figuring out how to leverage it now is what people are finally like really realizing. How do I leverage this? Yeah, I, and I want to respect your time. If you don't mind staying with me for a few more minutes, I have a couple uh, final questions. Um, I want to speak more to a bit of your contemporary work. Um, you know, I mean, I feel like you you have recently had a, a bit of a, a new creative flourish just in just discovering your own curiosity, which is kind of coming back to where you started before with like portraiture and things like that, like uh, during the pandemic. Um, you did your 28 Days project, which is a series of portraits during Black History Month. How did that project come about? What what headspace were you in when you decided yeah. to like launch it or embark on uh, it? All of all of that was 2020 was what was the energy that was kind of circulating, and it was a uh, self reflection, and it was also just like looking uh, around this idea, this thought that we're well, not guaranteed the next moment with the people in our lives, you know, and it was coming up to Black History Month. I, I, I literally thought about it as I thought about it as a kid. I took myself back to those moments and I thought about it from that place. And I thought about what can I contribute to this narrative, how we express and how we deal with like with, with Black history. And what I got from my little meditation was that 
a lot of times the people that we honor are we honor them when, while they're gone, like after they've left. And then another, a lot of times there are people, if they're still alive, like, you know, it was Mae Jameson when I was like younger, it was like all these people. We didn't really have access to those folks, right? We, could, we couldn't see those people walk down the street. So my idea was like, man, I know people doing great work now and I bet you they're about to blow. You know what I mean? Like it was like that idea, they're about to pop and y'all need to appreciate these people right now. That was sort of the idea, like to be kind of, you know, blunt about it or whatever, right? So I wanted it to be like mainly, if you notice it, those are like everyday people that are like in my community that I'm acknowledging for doing great work that I work with too. And also that I work with, they work with me and we appreciate one another's work, right? So it was just a, a, an opportunity to elevate, give flowers, whatever, you, you know, however you want like frame it. Um, and highlight them and the things they were doing. I've never been great about thank you cards like in the past. And I, you know, I've come to accept that maybe that's just not how I want to do it. You know, maybe I want to do portraits of people to say thank you. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Maybe I want to do it in different ways. So I, I kind of utilize it as, as, a, as a form of gratitude too, like a, as, a, as a practice of gratitude that came after the 150 days of meditation I did. I did like 150 days of sunrise meditation and I think all of the, this this level of gratitude, all these things came out from that. Um, part of the gifts of that meditation was 28 days and kind mm. of seeing it. So that's what it was about. That's 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 beautiful, man. And 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 this meditation practice. Um, what does meditation allow for? Yeah, I was a. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, I, I say a tool, and for me, it has been it has been my Swiss Army knife mm. in times where I've been in a jam. Like it's been my MacGyver knife. You know, when I when I've been dealing with things in life, um, going back to a meditative practice, um, space to think clearly because you know the physiology of it is, is, is just um, we deal with a lot of stress day to day we deal with a whole lot of stress um, and our body responds uh, to that stress as if we're dealing with like clear and present like danger right um, and we go into like flight or fight mode and our body starts to behave sort of the same way if we're running from an animal in the, in, in the forest right you know like uh, the, the cortisol gets to pumping, like, you know, um, your body starts to go toward producing more cortisol and producing other horm hormones like melatonin and like other things that we need for sleep, other things we need for our immune system. The body ends up in a mode where it's like sort of in survival mode. And if you're constantly in survival mode, it changes you, your physiology. Mm. It changes you. Um, you aren't able to think clearly because you're not in your, your prefrontal cortex right if you're not getting enough oxygen to the brain you literally can't make the right conscious decisions right it impairs a lot and i think we sometimes encounter uh, meditation in a really like hippy dippy like way but no there's biology behind it um that speaks to the impact uh, you're you know research like over prolonged periods of time like it literally changes the brain like you know you really can like impact your physiology 
your functioning in a positive way just through a meditative practice. And I think that uh, the, 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 the world that we have designed doesn't make as much space for these, that internal and that personal time. And I feel like people have practiced it for a long time. Some people's form of that were prayer. Some people that was other things. And the busier and busier you get, you realize the less and less time you find to pray, the less and less time you find to like put on your music, relax and do your thing. At different levels, at different stages in people's life, maybe people had space and time to be able to do that, but things change, you lose the job, you do this other thing. Oh, I don't have the tub anymore that I used to do my self-care practicing. I don't have to think, you know? So I think that's why it's important. And I think that's why I like naming it in this moment and actually having that conversation right now is it, super um, important. That's why meditation. In the beginning of the pandemic, I, I had a lot of anxiety and it was hard for me to see what art even contributed. Like, why am I even doing this? People can't eat this, you know? Like people can't, like what? Like I was, I was really going through that, that question. Why do, who are we to feel like that, you know, is the thing that people need at this point. And that's just like me. I was kind of like eating, eating, eating up, you know, at, at myself in that moment, um, just because that's just where I was. And the only thing that was there for me to do, I didn't want to paint a painting. I wanted to meditate with people. So I started meditating uh, daily with folks as just like, okay, we getting through this, <laughs> you know, like, like this is something that we can like we can come to and like you know maybe get a little bit more clarity maybe just be present in a different way um and then afterwards i was able to to reclaim my my um, physical like art making process again and not be so hard on myself with that through through the meditation um, so yeah that's how i see it brother that's amazing what would you say to someone who just wants to like start their meditation journey but they're like oh i don't have time i got these kids i have to worry about or you know like i don't like getting up. wait do i gotta get up early like what <laughs> you say at sunrise like mm -mm. like what would you say are some maybe just small tactical steps someone can take who's just maybe beginning <clears throat> pardon me beginning their meditation practice yeah um, or even curious curious about it well i would say one is like there's no way to do it no wrong way you know to to do it like you, you know your practice is your practice also i would i would say like if they you know they don't have a, a whole lot of time uh, i would have them like search breathing techniques on youtube and just check in with themselves if it you know um be consistent with it do it for a week and check in to see if it made a difference from you after that moment moving forward what breathing you know? techniques have worked for you um Breathing techniques, like there's a lot of people that do a lot of them, but simply like slowing down the breath, like box breathing exercises help a lot. So, uh, slowing down the breath helps a lot. Um, but I would say I would say the two diaphragmatic breathing, taking. I mean, I, there've been times that I've, I've been having difficult conversations with people on the phone, and I just start breathing, and, <laughs> you know, and they might be heated. But what's going on? Like <laughs> I'm breathing right now. Hold on, you know, <laughs> that's you know, I've done that, you know. Because like, it's like, it makes a difference. Um, but yeah, like literally like diaphragmatic is like you breathing into your stomach first and then you feel the chest and then you breathe out of the stomach and you empty the chest, right? Like doing a couple of like those breaths just to calm the body 
relax the body, relax the tension. Because what happens is when we get anxious, we breathe, we breathe, take shorter breaths, less less oxygen to the brain, we start to spiral. We can, right? Mm. So it's a way to kind of um, a physical measure you can have to. It's not a heal all or whatever, but to become more in your body and a little more relaxed. Box breathing is like when you breathe in for a four count and you pause and you exhale for a certain count and you pause. It's just um, training the body and activating what's, you know, what's called your parasympathetic nervous system, right? And that gets back into like, okay, being in your right mind, your conscious. Um, so those two techniques are the, the ones that I practice and I do in the meditations. Um, there are many types of meditations too. Like some people choose visualization and that's literally like, that can be really fun because you can look at a goal that you have in mind, right? And just like imagine the space, imagine what it's like for you to have fulfilled a goal in your life or to be at a finish line at some you know great moment. And just imagining who's there with you and what that experience is like, right? Because when we have a clearer, the clearer picture we have of of where we go, the, the easier we're going to be able to recognize it when we get there. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. So it's just like, that's what it is, right? Um, so also, some people meditate just for like, for calmness and stillness. That That is like, for me, as far as like effectiveness, when I was like really meditating to like get to nothing, this place of nothing, um, I, I found like a lot, my experience a lot unlocked for me, right? Because I was literally training um, my brain not to hold on to things that like I didn't want to hold on to at the time and really be clear. And mm. I got, I, you know, I, I uh, liken it to um, AM, AM and FM like radio frequencies, right? Like a different frequency. When you, when you take time to calm the body and calm the mind, you can tune up and you can really receive what you're supposed to be receiving, or not even supposed to be receiving, what's there for you to receive in the mm-hmm. moment, opposed to a lot of noise, a lot of static, a lot of friction, commercials, whatever, you know, like all this other stuff, right? So I look at it, I look at it like that too. Um, and I would I would say, I would have that conversation with somebody who's like, oh, I don't know if I, you know, have time. You know, I think start start giving yourself five minutes. You know, this is something that can make your sleep a lot easier. Um, it can make you um, le- less likely to getting sick, catching colds, I think. So in the long run, it can save you some time. <laughs> so, you know, I would say that. Yeah. <laughs> well, brother, like I said, I want to respect your time. Brandon, thank you so much for taking this time um, to just share with us today, to pour in us today, um, to share your journey, you know, and your story with us. And I also want to just take this moment to acknowledge you for the great work that you continue to do, like, you know, pushing past your own self um, in order to open, open up what you have discovered to a community, um, you know, you. acknowledge you for for staying in your community, not actually siphoning that talent out to you know a New York or an LA or like another place, but like you actually stayed put and that you actually dug your heels in and continue to invest in and collaborate with <clears throat> and grow from 
um, your community. And in that process, it becomes a regenerative process, right? Like that you are not only pulling up from the ground, but then you're also fertilizing that very same ground. Um, and then also just acknowledge you for, you know, speaking truth to power through the language of art and design, you know, like that's incredible and, 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 and teaching, you know, youth how to use art as, as a, as a mode of therapy, as a mode of working through and, and knowing that the end product is just the residue of the process. It's the process that will take you where you want to go. And so I appreciate you for always just being so generous, so open, you know, for show, showing up, you know, showing out in a very quiet way. And then also just elevating the people around you, right? Like, you know, Chance and, you know, other artists that you work with can shine because of the work you sp specifically do for yourself, right? Like that you do for yourself and, and, and then it allows a much larger community to appreciate all of it, even if they don't understand some of the codes that are at work, some of the magic that you are over there brewing. So I just want to thank you and acknowledge you for that. And I'm excited to see where you go. Um, I'm excited to see where your hair goes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and also, so my last question is, what is the world that you imagine for the future? Oh, man. The world that I imagine for the future um, man, is one that's full of peace and also accepting of a, a peace for the people who live in it, access to peace for the people who live in it. Also, uh, that reflects, that reflects the past in an empowering way uh, and sees the present as a gift, a place where there's a lot more grace with one another. Well, we don't stop at engaging when we don't agree, figure out ways to, to be, even if we don't share the same beliefs all the time. Yeah, I'll, I'll stop. <laughs> A world where nuance can be appreciated. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, brother, again, thank you so much. Could you please let people know where they can connect with you, where they can follow you and find out uh, more about your work? Yes. Um, my Instagram is at, at bbro. Um, that's first initial last name. And then um, that's it. Instagram is probably best. Brandon. Let's, let, yeah, let's spell that because it's, uh, it's that. <laughs> at B-B-R-E-A-U-X. Also, I have a, a commission for Senator John Lewis coming out on his last uh, message to the people. It's just called Carry On. That's the future work that's coming out. So I'll post that on the Instagram. I'll be looking out for that. And that's where you can find me. All right, brother. Have a beautiful, beautiful afternoon. Thank you again so much. We really appreciate it. And I'm so glad that we finally got to chat. Same. Thank you. All right, brother. Be blessed. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I hope you all enjoyed this beautiful conversation with Brandon, and I hope it was helpful. Um, what did Brandon say? I'm not trying to play it safe. 
I'm trying to play it right. I mean, come on, that's one to hold on to. Um, what stood out for you? You know, share it with a friend. Share it with us over on Instagram at Black Imagination. We can only be as good as the information we have access to. So share it out. And remember, Black Imagination is liberation. Stay curious and keep dreaming. <laughs>